is Exploration and Terror. The band is gung-ho, and the podcast that they said we could play their music on is Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. Big thanks to the band Gung-Ho for letting us play their song on the show. You're going to hear it in its entirety at the end of this episode. You can find them at their website, which is gung-ho for surf. That's gung-ho, the number four, surf bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find everything you need to know about monster kid radio including everything that we're talking about in this episode of the show it's episode 147 and i've got a bad case of the post halloween blues and i'm going to tell you a little bit about how i'm trying to get over that after i tell you about everything else we got going on here over at monsterkidradio.net you can find links to everything else our facebook group our live 365 internet radio station our Amazon store, every song that's appeared here on the show over the past 140-something episodes, and our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. You'll also notice over on the left-hand side of the page a section, Special Thanks, Patreon Patrons. We have a Patreon site at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio or click on the Patreon button at monsterkidradio.net and you'll learn how you can help support the show by becoming a patron like Tom and Eileen, a.k.a. Wolfie. Thanks, Tom and Eileen, for helping support the show. You know, I haven't updated it in a little while, but we also have a YouTube channel over there on the website. This is a handful of monster movie trailers. I need to work on getting that updated. I think maybe I'll put that on my New Year's resolution list. All right, so in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'm looking back at what happened on Halloween. I actually... Stayed home. You're going to hear all about it. I watched a bunch of movies, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then I went out later on that night to go see a movie at the theater with somebody who's been on the show in the past, Chris McMillan. He's been on the show a lot lately because he happens to keep going to all these Monster Kid Radio crashes that we're putting together. So Chris and I are going to chat a little bit about what happened on Halloween as well. I hope you guys and gals dig that. We're actually going to go ahead and just get to that right after this. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. 
So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes, because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Honeydew, Podcast. Syndrome, Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. It's alive. A gigantic beast. Stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror. Raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Just flames cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So for this year, I decided on Halloween Day, which I typically always take off from work now that they no longer do a costume contest, I was going to stay home and watch nothing but classic monster movies that I'd never seen before. There are so many movies out there that I've never seen and in some cases never even heard of. My DVD pile and my Blu-ray pile here is thick with movies that I picked up at one point or another and just never got around to watching. So this year, I'm pulling a few out that I'm going to check out and I'm going to start with the movie The Brain Eaters. Now, this was not something that I intended to watch when I started putting this list together. People who follow me on Facebook know that uh, recently I put a call out for people to maybe make some suggestions for some monster movies that are a little off the beaten path, some classic horror that they think maybe not everybody's seen. And if there was something on there that caught my interest or caught my eye that I had not seen, I'd put it on the list. And I have a couple of movies that I'm watching today on Halloween that are from that Facebook discussion. The Brain Eaters, however, this was suggested to me by YouTube, of all things. I was on YouTube looking something else up, and at the end of that video, it might have been a trailer that I was pulling some audio from for a podcast. It recommended that I check out The Brain Eaters, among some other things, probably a bunch of cat videos. Well, I'd never even heard of The Brain Eaters, and of course, the title alone caught my attention. And then the movie poster, which just looks cool pulled me right in. So I knew I had to watch it. Now, I don't know if The Brain Eaters is available on DVD proper or Blu-ray. I doubt it's on Blu-ray, actually, having seen it now. If it's on DVD, though, it's definitely something that I want to add to my permanent collection because I 
loved this movie. It's from 1958. It was released by American International and was part of a double feature with Earth versus the Spider. But the two movies, very, very different. Earth versus the Spider is kids, teenagers, rock and roll fighting a giant monster. The Brain Eaters, it's a little bit more low budget. It's a little bit more subtle. And it's a little more creepy. Earth versus the Spider, it's got some horrific moments. But the Brain Eaters, it gets in your brain. And I mean that with all puns intended. I don't know a heck of a lot about the people who were involved in this movie. Bruno Visoto is an actor who approached Roger Corman about putting this movie together. And they shot it in six days. Now, it does kind of show that it was shot in six days. The monster effects are pretty low-key. So the Brain Eaters, despite what you see on the movie poster, aren't these fanged, yellow-eyed creatures. They don't have brains that glow. They're more parasitic. They're these little things that crawl around and get on the back of people's necks and inject these things into their spines. It's pretty small. And I did a little bit of research and saw that there was a horror host by the name of Seymour who referred to this movie as the attack of the bunny slippers, because at one point you do see them on the ground moving around and they look like big fuzzy slippers with antennae. Now, I still thought they were creepy, though, especially when they got on somebody, because they would climb up on somebody's back and then do their thing. And when they got on somebody's back and do their thing, their thing is taking over somebody's body, turning them into, as you're going to hear in the trailer, well, I don't want to spoil it. What is it? I don't know. Ejected from unexplored secret stratus. This giant, harder-than-steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. This is a piece we got off the mayor. Reflex action like a snake. Got a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind? He becomes a... A robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. that will burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the brain eaters. All right, so basically you've got this invasion story going on, these creatures, these brain eaters, these parasites, trying to take over people so that they can take over the world. And the way it's done is so smooth and so interesting. I really loved this film. There are several shots where you see people walking around who have been taken over by the brain eaters, you can't see them because the brain eater is lower on the back than the shirt would allow you to see. But every once in a while, you can see some movement underneath the shirt. It's really creepy. I really enjoyed that. The camera work, you know, for a movie like this, I didn't expect the camera work to be as engaging as it is. You've got some wonderful canted angles and shots that just you wouldn't expect in a low-budget shot in six days film. But Lawrence Raymond, or Larry Raymond, who did the cinematography, really 
showed off what he could do with a camera with a low budget and a small amount of time. The cast was pretty solid. Dr. Kettering is played by Ed Nelson. You've got Alan J. Factor in the cast. You've got Joanna Lee and Jodie Fair and Cornelius Keefe, who was using the name Jack Hill, no relation to the director Jack Hill. I mean, this whole thing, it's so good and it's dark. This is not a rock and roll affirming film like Earth versus the Spider. This is a dark movie. People do die in this film, including some people that you might not expect. I was just fascinated by it. And I'm fascinated in that this seems to be, and I don't know if it was an intentional, but this seems to be a precursor to a couple of other movies that I have seen. One I really, really like. Talking about Night of the Creeps and Slither. Now, both of these movies are kind of zombie movies. There are these things that infect people and take over their body and make them automatons, bending them to their will. Well, The Brain Eaters does the same thing. Now, did Fred Decker or James Gunn pull from The Brain Eaters for inspiration? I don't know. I've never even heard of the movie before I saw it on YouTube. And I'd like to think I know a lot about Night of the Creeps, and I don't remember The Brain Eaters ever coming up in any of the material that I've read about that film. Either way, it's fascinating and it's interesting to me that at some point somebody else had the idea to have this kind of parasitic invasion storyline turning these people into robots or zombies in 1958. Now, apparently Robert A. Heinlein also thought that the Brain Eaters was pulling a little bit from the Puppet Masters, a little bit more than they should, so there was a lawsuit involved to clear that up. This movie, I think, is definitely going to make it to the top of my first-time viewings in 2014. If you haven't seen The Brain Eaters, it's easy to find on YouTube. It runs just over an hour, so it gets in, it does its job, it gets out. Highly recommended. The next movie I watched as part of my Halloween monster movie marathon was a Japanese film from 1968. The English title is Goki, Body Snatcher from Hell. Out of the fiery depths of a mysterious alien planet comes the most horrifying experience in motion picture history. Never before has such a frightening, oozing mass of stark terror crept across the screen. Body Snatcher from Hell. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! strange world in outer space comes this fiendish vampire satisfying his sinister and evil lust by feasting on the blood of his victims. This was a weird one for me. 
I think I liked it. It does slow down in some spots and it gets very plotty, but the visuals, the color, this is a color film, the color fascinating and the makeup design when this blob like alien takes over the guy with the rifle, it's creepy. Now you do see that in the trailer. So if you've seen the trailer on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. It is from 1968. It was released here in the States in 1979. It does have a seventies feel to it in that it's got some blood. There are some bloody birds that show up more than once and is unnerving. That's not the color work that I was talking about though. The color work that I'm talking about that really drew me into the movie The sky is this blood red. In fact, one of the characters even says that it's like flying in a sea of blood. It's really fascinating and interesting. And that whole vibe continues through the entire film because there are a lot of flashbacks that are done with this red tint. Some of the camera angles and movements are just a little odd and off-putting. It's basically a story about a plane crash. And the survivors, who are pretty much left for dead, are trying to survive while also dealing with this infestation. I mean, there's there's this vampire thing going on because people's blood is getting drained and drawn out and sucked up by these things after they get possessed by these weird-looking blob things. This one, with the Brain Eaters back-to-back, coincidentally was a decent double feature because we have some very similar themes about an alien or an outside force taking over a person and making them do things while convincing the humans that are around them that there's nothing wrong. Like I said, in Body Snatcher from Hell, it does get a little plotty. And what I mean by that is like immediately after the plane crash, there's a lot of just wandering around and trying to figure out who's alive and who's doing what and who's got the rifle, who's got the gun. It's a little slow, but it does make up for this when you start to see the characters interact with the aliens, the blobs, this flying saucer that turns up. So it definitely makes up in visuals what it loses in pacing a little bit for me. This was still a fun watch. I don't know if I'm going to go back to watch it again anytime. So it's probably the heaviest film that I'm going to end up watching for Halloween. At least we'll see. It's only the second movie in on my Monster Movie Marathon. Oh, and before I get too far away from it, I was also fascinated in Body Snatcher from Hell that even though it's a Japanese production, there's an American character, an actress in the film portraying an American, and her character makes reference to her husband who was recently killed in Vietnam. This movie was released in 1968, so the Vietnam War is something that is, well, happening, and I don't know if I can think of many monster movies off the top of my head that actually referenced what was happening in Vietnam, specifically what was happening with the American involvement in Vietnam. So while it was released 11 years later here in the States, I'm wondering if part of that was intentional because of the reference to Vietnam and what the country's involvement in that conflict meant and how it divided people. So I don't know if it was Part of the reason why it took so long to get released here. Either way, it's fascinating to me. The next movie on deck for me was 1958's Blood of the Vampire, directed by Henry Cass and written by Jimmy Sangster, who I'm quite familiar with thanks to my work over at 1951 Down Place, the Hammer Films podcast that I co-produce and co-host with Scott Morris and Casey Criswell. Jimmy Sangster is somebody who I really respect and typically really enjoy. And this movie 
I really enjoyed the screenplay, although I think the title was pretty misleading. It's called Blood of the Vampire, and it does open with a vampire staking scene, which was actually pretty darn cool. Big stake, huge wooden mallet, and some excellent sound effects as the stake is first placed into the body. It's pretty, uh, yeah, it's good. But the rest of the movie really feels more like a Frankenstein film, or like a mad scientist movie. Yeah, there's some talk about blood disease and somebody's blood being infected and that sort of thing, but it's really less about vampirism and more about Frankenstein and mad scientist work. It was pretty well acted. Barbara Shelley was in the cast and she never disappoints for me. Vincent Ball plays our male lead, Jean-Pierre. He's a doctor, or at least he was a doctor before he was found guilty and stripped of his license and sent to prison. We've got Carl, who is kind of our hunchback assistant. He also has a, a drooping eye. He's played by Victor Mattern. Donald Wolfett plays Dr. Calistratus, who is our villain, our mad scientist type. If there was a vampire type in the movie, it would be him. Now, he does have some incredibly pale makeup, so I suppose he does look a little anemic. And his eyebrows definitely reminded me of early Lugosi makeups, uh, specifically... I'm thinking White Zombie or in Murders of the Room Morgue, neither of which are vampire movies either, but he's got the big crazy eyebrows. The movie's in color, and it doesn't really shy away from the blood. This is late 50s Jimmy Sangster British cinema. Hammer's in full force at this point, so a little bit of red stuff on screen. Well, that's what sells and puts butts in the seat. So, yeah, they don't really shy away from it, although it's not overly exploitive save for the opening title being shown over a close-up of the stake having been driven into the body lots of lots and lots of fresh blood music was by stanley baker i am a film score fanatic i collect film scores and i like stanley baker's work i wish that there was a way to get some of the music from these movies on cd onto my ipod so i can enjoy them down the line i mean even like tom johnson's score from uh, the brain eaters so again i really kind of keyed into the music here and really enjoyed it overall the plot it's actually pretty complicated for the kind of movie that this is and it's the kind of thing that jimmy sangster could pull off the disgraced doctor is sent to prison there's another doctor who's working within the prison system who needs an assistant somebody to help him out and he pulls some strings and pays off some people and gets jean-pierre transferred to his prison for the criminally insane where he is conducting his experiments (laughs) there are guard dogs there are several layers of security here it's hard to break out and the prisoners become the subjects of the mad doctor of dr calistratus dr calistratus though he's not insane per se he's just well he's a bad dude he's trying to do some things to preserve life extend life cleanse the blood that sort of thing If he has to kill a few prisoners along the way and conduct these experiments, well then, so be it. I thought there was some really good acting by Barbara Shelley. I mentioned her earlier. She plays the fiancé of Dr. Pierre, but she's more than just somebody who's kind of wilting away, waiting for Dr. Pierre to break out of jail or be released out of jail. 
she becomes more active in the story at about the two-thirds mark. In the third act, she becomes more active and more important and does some things on her own. She starts to show some initiative, which, again, I really respond to. I don't know if people have noticed lately, but I've been really responding to finding strong female characters in these movies as of late, especially in the 50s. And I responded well to Barbara Shelley, not just because she's a beautiful woman, but because she is a wonderful actress and did a fantastic job in this film. I also really like Dr. Calistratus as a villain. I wouldn't have called him a vampire. I think the title Blood of the Vampire really doesn't serve this movie very well. And maybe that's why I never saw it. Maybe that's why it was never really on my radar to begin with. I don't know. I was really in the mood to watch a vampire movie proper, especially after the body snatcher from hell. But this one, it still was good and enjoyable. I'm really looking forward to the next one on my to-watch list. This was one that wasn't mentioned as part of the Facebook thread where I put out a request for movie titles that they think people really need to see but probably haven't. This is actually something that I discovered that I had not seen, even though I thought I had. I still haven't figured out what movie I swapped it up with in my brain, but I was convinced that I'd seen Carnival of Souls before. No, I hadn't. Until now. Hey, you want to die, huh? Rev it up. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawl from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man. The man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the Carnival of Souls. She is a girl driven mad by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. I like being with you, really I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. I want to be near you. Honey. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Carnival of Souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. Now that was something else. That was a creepy movie. This is my favorite film that I've watched on Halloween. Carnival of Souls, 1962, independent film directed by Herc Harvey, the only feature-length film that this man did. He's typically a industrial and instructional and 
educational filmmaker. And you can tell when you watch this movie, the very beginning of the movie specifically has a very educational vibe, meaning that it might have been at home in a driving safety film. We've got these two cars dragging on a very narrow bridge, and the way it's shot, the way it's paced, the way it's cut and put together, and the way it sounds feels like an educational film. And I don't mean that in a bad way. This actually worked. This grounded the film in reality. In fact, when the car does drive off the bridge and hit the water, the sound effect of the car hitting the water, it's not sweetened in any way. It's not enhanced. It doesn't sound like it was done in Hollywood on a soundstage. It sounds like something very big being dropped into water, and that's that. It's very normal. It's real. And I think that makes this movie stand out as an incredibly creepy, spooky movie that I'm going to have to go back and rewatch, I think, more than once to just get my head wrapped around everything that's happening in the film. It stars Candace Hillegas. She plays Mary, and she plays one of the people that were in the car that got ran off the bridge and dumped into the water. And it's her story as she's going through trying to get on with her life. She's an organist who gets hired by a church in Utah, and she's trying to move on and put the accident behind her, but something isn't letting her move on. There are some very eerie-looking people following her around. Specifically, there's one man, played by the director himself, who keeps turning up. He appears in mirrors. He appears in car windows. He appears in warehouses. I mean, he's everywhere following her around and slowly driving her mad. And as her madness overtakes her, she begins to have more and more breaks with reality. Or is it reality? This one, I think, warrants a full-on episode or two here on Monster Kid Radio discussing Carnival of Souls. I saw it on TCM. It was very crisp. I liked the print quite a bit. I think it's great that it turned up on TCM on Halloween Day so that I could watch it. Now, I'd read online that there was some tinting that took place in the film, meaning that when things start to go a little wonky, the screen is supposed to be tinted cyan. I didn't see that on my TV, and I don't know if it's because I'm colorblind and I just couldn't pick up on it. If my TV settings weren't right, or if somebody in the TCM control room wasn't awake at the board and allowed that color shift to go through. I've heard stories in the past about how I Was a Teenage Frankenstein was shown on television once, and even though the last 30 seconds or so of that film do shift to color, somebody in the control panel wasn't paying attention and didn't allow the film to be broadcast in color. So the TV presentation was in black and white, unfortunately. Didn't ruin the movie. I just was expecting the brief glimpse of the teenage Frankenstein monster in color. I don't know if that's what happened here with the Carnival of Souls presentation that I saw on TCM. No complaints otherwise, though. I mean, it just looked good. And the sound, I've got the soundtrack, and I need to double check. If it's not already there now, within the next few weeks, the music from Carnival of Souls, I'll add some of it to the Live 365 channel that we have here at Monster Kid Radio, because it is creepy. It's nothing but organ music, which makes sense, considering that our lead character is an organist. Considering that potentially the music being played for our character to be going through this journey is organ music, which is what this character would know best. Well, it just adds another layer of to the whole 
thing. I mean, it's such a good movie. I'm going to go back and watch the director's cut because that's what's available on the Criterion release. I actually need to get my hands on the Criterion release proper so I can watch all of it, check out the special features, if any, that sort of thing. This one was a real treat. Now, I'm going to go ahead and break form here because the next movie I'm going to watch here on Halloween is one that I've seen before, repeatedly. It's actually one that we've even covered here on the show in the past. I'm going to stop recording get my act together and head out to the joy cinema for a showing of house of wax the original film in 3d and i believe chris mcmillan from the shadow over portland is going to be there as well after the movie i'm hoping to record with him a little bit get his thoughts on the whole experience so i will talk to everybody here shortly When we talked to Chris last, it was when we did the Monster Kid Radio Crash of the Monster Squad, and we did a round-robin question, just what are you doing for Halloween? And Chris, you told me you were going to sit around and watch monster movies. Did you watch many monster movies on Halloween Day? Nope, not really. Oh, no! No, because because there was something better out there. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, come on. House of Wax. That's a price. 3D. Heck, you I was there. You made the long bus ride, the long <laughs> trek out from where you're at to the joy. And how long of a bus ride was it? It's about 80 to 90 minutes. Uh, oh, two transfers. Man. Depending on how you hit the transfers, you could be waiting up to a half hour there. But I got lucky. I only had to wait five minutes each way on the transfer. So, Was it 80 to 90 minutes both ways? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I was on the bus longer than I was in the theater <laughs> watching the movie. <laughs> This is the first time you'd been out to the Joy, right? Mm-hmm. And boy, let me tell you, I love that place. The posters they had up in the lobby and even in the restroom, it's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. They had a Valley of Guanji. They had Iga, the Manster, um, with a, a double feature of the Manster and something else. They had a Star Crash poster that they covered up. I don't know why. You just saw the top of it. But, you know, I mean, and the theater, the theater's great. It looks great. The lobby was done up for Halloween. Big theater. I was surprised. It's a cool place. I, I was hopeful that you'd make your way out. I know it's a long trip because I, you know, I really enjoy that theater. I wanted to get your impression of how it looked. I'm assuming the girls' bathroom is the same as the boys' bathroom. The, the women in the men's bathroom are the same. I would assume neither one so. of us have been in the women's room. But. I, I was really tempted to go. <laughs> Could you make sure the women's room's not clear? I want to see the posters in there too. But I figured, you know, it's my first time here. I better play it cool. <laughs> as cool as it is to go in there and just see all these movie posters kind of like decoupaged all over the walls i'm thinking those are movie posters man put them in a frame oh yeah i know i mean because like i said the star crash one in the bathroom's covered and it's plastered over with something else and there's no way to get it off yeah i'm going to assume at least this is what i'm going to tell myself is that the posters that were used that way in the bathroom they were damaged in some way i'm hoping that the star crash one was ripped in half and he only had the top half exactly that's what i'm hoping for. that's what i'm hoping for i also find it interesting that when you go into where the bathrooms are right before you turn left for the men's room or right for the women's room or however it is set up there is on the wall a poster for the movie portland expose which is a film noir film that was yeah yeah which i think is really neat i mean it's set in portland oregon so i think it's cool you know a little bit of local representation i guess 
Yeah, and, and I think you're right about the posters because, I mean, the ones he had in the lobby were framed. I mean, the Ega one was framed and up there and looking really nice. I'm assuming he brought some of those out for Halloween. You know, the Ega has been up forever, and the Valley oh, okay. of Bonchi has been up there forever. And there's one, it was a Peter Cushing movie, and it's got a different title on it than what I know it by. Right. I'm blanking on the name right now, but that's been up there forever as well. He loves monster movies. Oh, Oh, that makes me love that theater even more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the weird Wednesdays and everything that he does, I mean, that's what he's into. So, oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Monster Kid Radio's got to support that place. Well, yeah, and, you know, if he ever does an early Monster special or something on a Saturday, I'll be there, too. I, I mean, if, it's a great theater. It really is. So, hey, everybody out there, keep going to the joy if you can. So House of Wax, first time you saw it in 3D? First time I ever saw it actually was in grade school. They were showing it for Halloween at an assembly. Nice. So we all got to sit around and watch House of Wax, which, you know, I guess having the lights on helps a lot because that movie <laughs> kind of is spooky. There are some moments, especially when he's doing the like the proto dark man kind of stuff mm-hmm. when he's going through the alley and all that. That's some creepy stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I've seen it a few times since. I think the Laurelhurst Theater had it on the screen. But this was my first and possibly only opportunity to see it in 3D. I had to go. Had to go. Yeah, we've covered House of Wax here on the show with Dr. Gang Green in the past. It's mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorite Vincent Price films. He really has an opportunity to just have a lot of fun with the role. I mean, he was such a big fan of art anyway. Oh, yeah. To have him play an artist. That was kind of fun, you know, when you when you realize that he was – an art collector. He was an artist himself, you know, just to see him doing that, you kind of go, Oh yeah, he, he's probably knows what he's talking about. When he's talking about how the wax sculptures were talking to him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really a stretch for him. I would imagine that the art spoke to him on some level. Oh, I'm sure. Sure. And when he's telling um, the protege, you know, how to sculpt the face, you know, bring in more lines, do this. It really rings true. Mm hmm. That's always fun watching Charles Bronson in a horror movie. How, how often does that happen? Yeah, Charles Bronson, a young Charles Bronson, one of two times he would be in a movie with Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't seem out of place. It just he, of course, is an Igor type character. Oh yeah, yeah. They even name him Igor. I mean, yeah. It's like, hmm. And and you know, I mean, it was it was kind of fun to see that. But Bronson and well, who went on to greater things, obviously, and and Price aside, all those actors. They did a great job with that, with that, with their roles. The two police officers, perfect, spot on. Oh, they were solid. I mean, that's a great cast. Yes, it and really I think is. you kind of have to be a great cast if you're going to be in a movie with Vincent Price. Oh yeah, you have to. Up your if game. you're not at the top of your game, he is, and probably not by intention, but he is going to overshadow you because he is Vincent Price. Well, he's going to overshadow anybody anyway. You well, just got to try and keep up. There you go. That's <laughs> you know, true. That's and, true. and and they did. The cast kept up with him perfectly. Everything was great. I thought so, too. What did you think of the 3D? We have to say it was a digital version. It wasn't the uh, 35 millimeter. But I was really impressed with what they did with it. And director Andre de Tooth, I think. We've been saying de Toth, but we could all be wrong. Yeah, well, we'll go with de Toth. (laughs) Okay. Um, Because there's there's only one O in his name, so that would kind of negate the two thing. But anyway, (laughs) sorry about that. Off on a tangent. You know, we should Um, probably actually point out, we are recording this early Saturday morning, the day after Halloween. So I think the (laughs) listeners are going to have to forgive a few stumbles here and there. Yeah, I think so, because, you know, I'm I'm working on my third cup of coffee right now. It's... (laughs) 
I've only been awake enough to have one, so. <laughs> Ooh, I'm ahead. Um, but anyway, um, the way he framed it, I mean, the use of the 3D is really, really good. Surprising since he was blind in one eye and he couldn't yeah. see 3D himself. Yeah, but he, he obviously got the idea of what needed to be done as far as the stuff jumping at you, you know, the paddle ball scene. I love the paddle ball scene. Oh my God. The guy it's breaking, a- you know, <laughs> the guy breaks the wall. It's the first time I'd seen this movie in a theater setting. And I've seen the movie repeatedly before, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, we covered it with Gang Green and I'd seen it before then. So I knew about the paddle ball sequence, but to be actually be in the theater and have that moment happen the way it was intended, where he's actually, like you said, breaking the wall there and interacting with the audience. Hey, watch out for your popcorn. That was cool. That, that was so was, much fun. That was. And, and having it in 3D made it even better. Oh, yeah. But aside from all the, you know, coming at you stuff that was thrown into that movie. Detoff's use of perspective, having things in the foreground, the background, and the you know, the actors in the middle walking through it all really put some depth into the three D effects. There's a real sense of depth, especially in the museum. Oh yeah. And yeah. the camera's moving around and there's a, a wax statue in the foreground. There's a bunch of stuff in the background and the actors are moving back and forth. It's very well done. The fight scene. Oh yeah. The first fight scene, the very beginning, the fist fight between Price and his first partner, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sequence, I know Price didn't do a lot of his own fight choreography, but still, the, that sequence is still pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, the the whole place is on fire, and yeah, it's obvious because Price's character never turns and faces the screen during the fight. It's always hidden, you know, because he's always got his back turned to the camera. So, you know, it's a stunt man. But still, I mean, all the fire going on there and those two guys knocking themselves around and the scene where the associate's trying to leave, Price stops him. Mm -hmm. The associate hits him and he runs into the railing and the railing doesn't break and the guy hits him again. And then the railing finally collapses. That was pretty intense. I I can't tell. I can't decide. Was that? like a botched effect that they should have gone through the first time and they had to do it again. I, I can't tell either way. They played it off perfectly. I know. I, I have the same question every time I see it. I'm like, did they just not get it right and realize they had to just finish this? So the guy came back up and the, the, you know, the stuntman ad libbed that second blow. I, I don't know. Everything's but, on fire. It's not like they can go back and redo it. Yeah, really. And, and I'm sure, you know, the wax, the wax figures that were at later in the movie, this, the fight sequence in the beginning was probably shot last so they could melt them all. Yeah, you know, true, true. You know, the budget on this thing was not really very high, I don't think. You I, couldn't I, tell, though. I mean, it felt like a rich, lavish production. Oh, yeah, really. But, yeah, I'm, I'm wonder, I always wonder about that. If, if the railing was supposed to break on the first blow in the act, the stuntmen just faked it, which would make sense. Yeah. You would have to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. But yeah, the fight, you know, the fight scene had fire in the background, fire in the middle. And once again, the actors roaming in between them both. So you really got a a sense of depth that a lot of 3D movies kind of forget. Yeah, especially in this era. Mm -hmm. And then you saw it again in the 80s when 3D was starting to come back again. 3D was kind of gimmicked and it was really just let's throw things at the audience. He really didn't get the depth. And I feel like with this one, you do get some of that depth that you see now with a lot of modern 3D. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's because of the new processing, the way they put it together for digital. I'm hoping that's how it looked originally. Even if it didn't, you could tell that's what the tooth was trying to do. True. True. Because he, he obviously set up the shots to give that 
perspective of depth that, you know, the 3D process would give. You know, now, I mean, the, what was it, red and green glasses are not always the best. No, that's true. That's true. And this you was the, the real 3D technology, so. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the polarized 3D version of Creature from the Black Lagoon on 35, and that's much better. Um, yeah. It was the same thing with um, Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. It wasn't the red-green. It was polarized, mm. which is kind of the um, precursor to the real 3D process. Right. Um, you know, and it looks so much better. It, it, the 3D effects work better in the polarized, because when I went to the Baghdad to see Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, there was a digital version, which would have been fine, but it was red and blue. And if you turn your head just a, a little bit too much one way you kind of lose that perspective. And I think, you know, people complaining about headaches is because they had to hold their heads still. Yeah. The once red they and found blue. that sweet spot. Yep. Yeah. When it comes to red and blue 3D, and I'm sure there's a fancy name for it that I just haven't had enough coffee to remember. Yeah, I, I don't either. <laughs> the, the red and blue 3D, it's all about, like, where you're going to sit in the theater. It's all about your seat. Because mm-hmm. if you're at the wrong angle, it's... Yeah, it's a mess. House of Wax is available as a red and blue 3D on my Roku, on one of my Roku channels. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled out my Friday the 13th 3D glasses to watch it. <laughs> um, and it's it's not nearly as good as what we saw last night. No, I can imagine. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I will have to say the nice thing about the um, digital version is they cleaned up the colors. They yeah. They made those colors pop. And it's a beautiful looking film. It really is. It's not artificially enhanced. I mean, it just looks rich. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suspect that's what the colors look like on a good 35 millimeter print. That's sort of, I mean, you've got such contrasts, you know, the darkened museum and then, you know, um, um, the, the, the heroine walking through it in that glowing dress almost just in contrast to the darkness around her. I mean, it was beautiful. Just beautiful. It really was. It was a fun time. I'm glad I got to see it. Thrilled that you made the trip out. I, like I said, I know it was a trek. <laughs> I know hey, it was a journey. Totally worth it. No yeah. complaints. Totally no. worth it. It was a um, lot of fun. Yeah. And the, the other thing that really stood out in that, um, that, the, the digital version was how good Price's makeup was. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a burn makeup. Mm-hmm. It looks like what you would expect from someone who's been seriously burned. Yeah. Granted, knocking off a wax mask, yeah, that's a stretch because everybody knows wax doesn't move that well. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, he's an go. artist. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a little bummed that you didn't get a chance to watch a lot of monster movies yesterday, like you said you were going to, man. That's well, you know, this was so worth it. I mean, I probably could have sat down and gotten through three of my pile of um, you know monster films, but they're going to be there, and I'm watch. I watch these all year round. So, opportunity to grab House of Wax in 3D, get dressed up in a silly costume, and sit in the theater and watch it was perfectly fine. You know, you just said something there, and, and, you know, I had a blast yesterday on Halloween, because I did just sit around and watch monster movies, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, that's fun for me. Took the day off, didn't have to do anything, you know, just relax, watch a bunch of movies, hang out with a cat or two, you know, that was a blast. But I I can't help but feel like maybe because we hit it so hard this year with the double feature Uh. of the Hammer films, which listeners are going to hear about in a couple of days, with the Monster Squad, with all the stuff that I did at the Joy Oh, yeah, and don't forget, we started it off with Halloween 3. Yeah, I mean... And that, the Lovecraft, and oh, God, yeah. We did so much this month. There's a little part of me that's like, 
Whew, it's over. <laughs> you know, there is a little part of me uh, doing the same thing. I mean, I've been doing the updates on the, the my blog, The Shadow Over Portlet, and they just everything just kept piling in. We got all this stuff coming in, and I'm finding all these theaters all over the place showing great movies. And by the time I got to, you know, I'd, I'd get off work, go home, do the Thursday update, just be like, I'm shot. Oh yeah, I've got a weekend of movies to go to. Hmm, gee, too bad. <laughs> yeah. Going. Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm, we've had some wonderful opportunities this Halloween season, just oh, just no here kidding. in the Portland area. Mm-hmm. You know, and I hope listeners had a chance to do something fun in their area. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, there was a whole lot happening, and even today, there's still a lot of stuff going on. I think they're still showing. Well, it'll be too late for everybody, but they are still. I think they're still showing House of Wax for they a couple are. more you days. Go? Okay, let's go. Let me get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're showing uh, House of Wax through the weekend. Yeah. So, so, you know, I know up in Seattle, um, they've got, like, I think tonight they're showing Zombie. You know, Zombie Flesh Eater, Zombie 2, however you mm-hmm. want to. Fulci Zombie. You know, so they're still, you know, I mean, but I'm taking the night off. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think I'm done with Hollow. you know. I'm never oh, done hey, with hey. Halloween. <laughs> never done with Halloween, but I think I'm raining in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you, man. Uh, I, I'm going to chill today. We're recording this on Saturday. I'm going to use today to recover, slowly get back into real life on Sunday, and then back to the grindstone. This Wednesday night at the Joy for their weird Wednesday offering, it's Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. Oh, God. That's that November is, 5th. That is so. I've never seen it. I've oh, never seen it. Oh, oh, you're in for a. No, I can't say it's a treat. Oh, that good, huh? <laughs> oh, that good. <laughs> that good. Oh. Ooh. And then here in a couple of weeks, the Karloff play is going to yeah. be kicking off in Salem, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Definitely go into that. So, I mean, there's still things to do, just not every single night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, they've got, uh, I think next weekend at the Hollywood, ABCs of Death 2 opens. Ah. I have yet to see the first one, but I may pop in for the second one. I don't think I don't think it's a direct sequel, so I think I'm okay. Well, well that's you an know, easier trip you, for you. So, it's <laughs> an easier trip for you. So, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if I can catch. I don't think TriMet Services Salem. We'll have to see what I can do about a car. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, my coffee cup is empty. I think I need to go refill. Oh, good. Oh, good. Gosh. Go go fill that thing. <laughs> Chris, thanks a lot, man. And thanks for being on Monster Kid Radio all month, practically. Oh, always a pleasure. And, I mean, anytime I get a chance to talk with you and anybody else about monster films, I'm happy to be there. And remember, check out shadowoverportland.blogspot.com to be up to date on all the horror happenings in the Pacific Northwest. Just because Halloween's over, the Shadow Over Portland will never leave. No. <laughs> in fact, it just gets darker that well it's winter yeah i was gonna say that's daylight savings and all that right yeah no it's just winter we get more clouds up here you know that (laughs) (laughs) a storm rages outside a lonely castle a grave is desecrated a brain transplant a hundred years ahead of its time A wild caveman is trapped. 
A Neanderthal man lurks nearby. Dr. Frankenstein discovers the secret of life. The evil dwarf masterminds terror in the village. Why, it's that crazy Frankenstein! Now, all right, all right, no hasty judgment. Now tell me, Hanson, are you sure she's disappeared and not just visiting friends? And the broken legs. So much brutality, like a beast. I'm happy you're enjoying it. See the secret subterranean pool created by volcanic structure. Now I have another surprise for you. There you are. No! It was you, Hunt! You're the double crusher? You were supposed to have erased my footprint! Mysterious caves with miles of tunnels. The monster breaks free. You must come quick. That little vermin Gain says let the monster out. No. There the police is going. Come on. Come on to the caves. Yeah. Follow the inspector. Caves. The monster's loose. They're heading for the caves. See the battle of the Goliaths. Starring Rosano Brazzi. Michael Dunn. Edmund Purdom, introducing Christiane Royce. Coming soon to this theater. So that was the trailer for the movie Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. And like I told Chris, I've never seen it before. However, the Joy Cinema is going to correct that for me on Wednesday night, November 5th, because they're showing it as part of their weird Wednesday series. It's not really a Monster Kid radio crash because I didn't get my act together in time. But I'm going to be there. If you're going to be there, look me up. I'll bring my recorder. Maybe I'll record something for the show. We'll see. Getting back to the conversation that I had with Chris and what we talked about earlier, I'm real curious as to how you are dealing with your post-Halloween blues. Give me a call. Our voicemail line again is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Facebook. That sort of thing. I want to give a special thanks to the podcast Sounds Like an Earful. They do bi-weekly podcast nods, giving out podcast community awards. And this week, they awarded Monster Kid Radio the award of one-of-a-kind blend. This nod goes to a show that is unique in its own right. Each week, we give appreciation to a show that has a generally interesting shtick, format, focus, or voice. These shows do something a little different. Well, I think we do something a little different here on Monster Kid Radio. And I want to give thanks to one of the people that nominated us for that award. It's Strange Jason over at the Six Foot Plus podcast. If you're not listening to Six Foot Plus, you're missing out. It's an awesome music podcast. Tons of music. Some bad monster jokes from Monster Matt Patterson. A few other features here and there. It's a great show. And honestly, it was Strange Jason who inspired me to put surf music on Monster Kid Radio. So, again... Thank you, Jason, for nominating us. Thank you to Sounds Like an Earful for awarding us the One of a Kind Blend Award. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. 
I found out about that over on Twitter. We do have a Twitter account. It's just Monster Kid Radio. I don't do a lot on the Twitter. I'm working on it. So if you are a Twitter user, well, you can find me over there. And you can find me back here at Monster Kid Radio headquarters for episode 148 in a couple of days. We're going to go back to another Monster Kid Radio crash. I hope you guys and gals aren't sick of them yet. We still have the Hammer Double feature that we went to at the Hollywood Theater. Again, Chris McMillan was there. It was Twins of Evil and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Hammer's always going to have a place here on Monster Kid Radio. Chris was there. And you're going to hear a new voice, somebody who's never been on the show before, but he's another podcaster. And, uh, well, you'll see who it is. In the meantime, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. That, of course, does not apply to the song Exploration in Terror. That belongs to the band Gung Ho. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, you can find them over at Gung Ho for Surf dot bandcamp.com let them know that monster kid radio sent you talk to everybody in a couple of days 